So I think you learn or you try to learn to kind of make peace with the mother that you're not and embrace the mother that you are. And so much of motherhood is about self-flagellation and why am I not better at this? And how am I failing my kids at this? And why do I feel so guilty that I'm not producing enough breast milk or I haven't put them down for the right school or I'm not teaching them all the languages I thought I was, you know, it's just this endless, or I gave them, you know, I let them eat pizza and cookies and whatever garbage or, and, you know, and in the beginning you have all these expectations for yourself and then you like get out there and you're living through it and you're like, you know what? The best I can do is great. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children. This leads to greater gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, white middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. And in fact, my hope is that many of you listening right now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible where you make the decisions that make our world a better place. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from amazing like-minded peers, join our events or find out about our world-class career development programs for parents, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. We will open applications soon for our cross-sector fellowship program again. And until then, keep an eye on our newsletter for our free events where our fellows share their learning. Today's conversation is with Clarissa Ward, CNN Chief International Correspondent and author of the captivating book On All Fronts. We talk about dealing with expectations from others, about what type of parents you should be, working as an international war correspondent with toddler in tow, motherhood guilt and everything in between. It's another conversation I've learned a huge amount from. Enjoy. So a very warm welcome, Clarissa, to the podcast and thank you for taking the time to join us. Let's start with you introducing who you are, what you do for work and who's in your family. Well, thank you very much for having me on. My name's Clarissa Ward. I'm CNN's chief international correspondent, and I am also the mother of two little boys, Ezra, who is four years old, and Casper, who is two years old. And we live in London with my husband, Philip, who I met in Moscow way back in 2007. And the reason why I've come across your work is the book you recently published. Can you tell me what prompted you to write it? So I've been covering crisis and conflicts around the world for almost 20 years now. And when I became pregnant with my eldest son, I realized that it was hugely important to be able to tell him the story of who I was and why I took the risks I did beyond just being like, mom, I wanted my kids to one day like have a really good sense of who I am as a woman and as a person. And so shortly after giving birth, I started to write this book, which is basically just an accounting of my life covering front lines around the world, but also my journey as a, as a woman and a mother. And when you first started out, was it common for females to be war journalists? 
So I was really lucky in the sense that I'm from a generation where a lot more women really did start to cover conflict. And I think it's fair to say that we stand on the shoulders of giants in the sense that for the women from the generation before, it was much more rare, much more unusual, much more challenging in many ways. There are now a lot of women who cover conflict and who do a fantastic job of it and who have made extraordinarily successful careers out of doing it. I do still think there's a lot of kind of pervasive misogyny and sexism that lurks within the industry. And it can be trickier to unpick because the assumption is, oh, we're past that now. And in many ways we really are, but we've sort of neglected to address like certain aspects that are definitely lingering sort of hangovers from from the old days. So I'm proud of how far we've come and I'm really excited to see the next generation of female war correspondents who are already up and coming and doing amazing work and and hopefully with some of the advantages that come from what we've been able to do to improve the the workspace. What's the biggest change that you would like to see? I think that there's a very different expectation of mothers than there is of fathers. So when you're a woman and you cover war and you tell people that you're going to have a child, the automatic assumption that everyone has is, oh, well, what will you do next? Or, you know, does this mean you'll want to do a studio job? Whereas I know that my male colleagues who have kids don't really get that question which doesn't mean that they don't feel the same acute sense of responsibility as a parent and that they don't feel the same level of kind of pain and push-pull with regards to doing this work when you have children. It just means that the public doesn't demand that of them in the same way. So, and I think that also there are a lot of sort of changes have happened But there is still a big emphasis on what women look like and how women dress and how they wear their hair and what their weight is and whether they're glamorous or whether they're, you know, and look, part of that is the fact that it's television. And so there is a sort of inherent superficiality to that medium. But I see the progress that has been made since I started out in the industry on that front. And I just really hope that it will continue. And you referenced the different expectations around taking risks. For the listeners who are not familiar with your work, can you tell us if you've changed your approach to dealing with risk after you've had your children? So a big part of my job is obviously traveling to the front lines, whether it's Ukraine, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Yemen. There are very few conflicts that I have not covered in the last couple of decades. I am always very measured in my approach to risk. And I think sometimes it's difficult from the outside without a level of knowledge of what it's like to be or what it's like to operate in conflict zones. It can be really hard to understand that there are different levels of risk. There are certain stories where I am willing to take larger risks because I really feel that they're so important or I really feel that they will illuminate something or serve some kind of higher purpose, but I never court risk. I never pursue it for the sake of it. And I think since having children, that is, yeah, it's all the more fundamental to me. My primary responsibility in this world is as a mother to these two boys. 
So the most important thing with any assignment is yes, to do a great job, but most importantly, to get home safely. So I do think that I take fewer risks or I'm a little bit more calculated with the risks I take, but I do still travel to dangerous places. I do still sometimes end up in dangerous situations. And that is a fundamental part of my job. And you obviously take those risks for a reason. What would you like your boys to know about your work once they're grown up and they look back on these days? Well, if they're still talking to me, no, I'm kidding. I would hope that they would be proud of the work that I do and of, you know, I mean, it's not a perfect profession and I'm not a perfect person, obviously, but in its greater moments, I think that like you really do have an opportunity to shine a spotlight on parts of the world where people really are challenged in terms of having their voices heard. I think that you have a unique ability to hold people in power accountable for their actions or misdeeds. And you have a duty to inform people about what's going on. And obviously, it's not ideal that you have to do that in dangerous places too, but dangerous places are some of the most important places to make sure that you're getting accurate and clear information. So I hope that they'll be proud. It's so interesting to hear you talk. A really strong purpose comes through. And I just reflected somehow in these podcast interviews, which obviously combine senior doctors or senior business leaders, charity leaders, yourself, very different roles. But it comes through that if you do go to work and you do take a job that is, well, in your situation, risky, but also just takes a lot of brain space, it has to be worth it. And you have to have a bigger purpose for it and find what that purpose is. I think so. And I think that at the end of the day, that's a huge luxury and a real privilege to have a job that you consider to be like a calling or a vocation where you do have, as you say, that sense of purpose. That's not something that everybody has. And it's not something I feel that you can just kind of squander either. And every woman is different and every woman needs to make this decision for herself. But the reality is I know what I'm good at. I know what my strengths are. And I know what my strengths are as a mother as well. And as much as I sometimes fantasize about, well, what if I was just, you know, at home all the time and able to do bath time every day? And, and like my heart wants that on so many levels. But I also know that that's not who I am fundamentally. And it doesn't necessarily showcase the best that I have to give as a mother. So I think you learn or you try to learn to kind of make peace with the mother that you're not and embrace the mother that you are. And so much of motherhood is about self-flagellation and why am I not better at this? And how am I failing my kids at this? And why do I feel so guilty that I'm not producing enough breast milk or I haven't put them down for the right school or I'm not teaching them all the languages I thought I was, you know, it's just this endless, or I gave them, you know, I let them eat pizza and cookies and whatever garbage or, and, you know, and in the beginning you have all these expectations for yourself and then you like get out there and you're living through it and you're like, you know what? The best I can do is great. The best I could do is great. And it's not perfect, but it's great. And I'm still sort of on that journey in terms of really accepting that and like trying to free myself of the guilt that comes with feeling like you're constantly failing. 
But I think it's really important as women and as mothers that we support each other and we hear each other and that we're like honest with each other about this stuff instead of constantly, if you go on Instagram, you think like everybody has it perfectly and everyone's children are gluten-free and dairy-free and speaking six languages and playing the violin. And that's just not real life. Well, it's certainly not my real life. <laughs> Definitely not <laughs> at this end. It's really fascinating to hear you talk. And so you shared really eloquently about how we can't be everything. And what are the things that you do want to do as a mother? What are the two or three things that are really part of the job description for you? I mean, it sounds so basic and so fundamental, but I really want my children to feel loved, deeply loved for who they are, whoever they may be. And I want them to feel safe, which probably is a product or a reaction to the work that I do because I un I understand or I, I believe that the two things that children really need, having traveled in all these desperate and dangerous places over the years, is love and stability. If children feel loved and they feel safe, they will thrive and they will flourish. And it doesn't matter if you're living on a commune or you've got three dads or two moms or 10 brothers or you're an only child. It really doesn't matter. If children feel love and stability, they flourish. So I think those are the two main things that I really try to instill into my children. They're obviously like very young. So we're not yet at the stage where I need to, or arguably, I guess I should be preparing, preparing for it. But like intellectually, it's, you know, they're still kind of in their nascent years. So I'm not good at doing the stuff of like, let's, you know, do baby Mozart together or whatever it might be. And I'm going to take you to all these museums. And, you know, I mean, that's all stuff that I look forward to doing. But right now it's more about love and play and just helping them to understand that just because I go away and I travel, that it doesn't doesn't change anything in their routine or their happiness or their security and that I always come back and it, you know, it usually goes pretty quickly. Beautifully said. With your reference to travel, do you have anything that you've learned about traveling internationally and having your family? What have you learned practically about making that work? I would say that FaceTime makes it a lot easier, but it also makes it harder in some ways because like with my little one, the two-year-old, if I FaceTime him, sometimes he'll start crying because, you know, he goes from like not really being aware that you're not around to like, oh, I miss you. So it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, the whole FaceTime thing. Like you want to check in with them and be part of things, but you also you kind of want them in a best case scenario to forget about you when you're not around. And that could be hard on a selfish level because of course I just want to like sit there and, you know, watch them be cute. But I try to kind of moderate the FaceTiming sessions. And also, frankly, to be honest, like I find them really hard on me because, you know, when you're in a war zone, you have to like compartmentalize a lot and you have to cover your heart a little bit and protect it. And so that space 
of like pure love and vulnerability and openness is not really a space that I tend to access often in war zones, but it's the only space I know to be in with my children. So it's challenging to kind of juggle those different spaces. I think the most important thing to remember it always is like much harder for me than it is for them. Like I know how my kids are like my husband just went away for four days and like I can genuinely tell you my children didn't care in the, like not that they don't adore him. They do when he's back. It's like daddy, you know, but when he's gone, they've got their routine. They've got they've always got, you know, either me or my husband and my parents and their nannies and their friends and their so like they're they feel loved and they feel happy. And so it's always harder on the person leaving, I think. Now that may change as they get older. And and that is something that I am fully prepared for that possibility that I'm in a sweet spot right now. They are two years old and four years old, but what's it going to be like when they're eight years old and 10 years old? Mm. I don't know. You know, and they understand what war is. And so nothing is ever like constant, you know, you just take one step at a time and one day at a time and you do your best and you kind of muddle through it. Mm. It's not exactly inspiring for people listening. It's like one day at a time and muddle through it. But yeah, I think that's exactly the reality. And it's really refreshing to hear from you that this is your reality because you from the outside look like you've got it together, you know, <laughs> in the loveliest. <laughs> I'm glad I'm projecting that image. But yeah, it's definitely not the case. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I just want to come back to what you said about assumptions or expectations people had about how you would change mm. and that you wouldn't go to war zones anymore. Do you remember the first time someone encouraged you to change your life because now you were pregnant or had children and how you responded to that? I can't remember the first time specifically, but I remember that it just became such a common question that I like developed my like pat answer for it that I would just give to everyone. And I think in the beginning, I felt a little bit of indignation, like, why are you assuming that I wouldn't do this anymore? And would you ask the same question of my male colleagues? But then I realized two things, like number one, it's fundamentally driven I think less from a place of judgment in other people, although obviously that exists, and more out of like a genuine curiosity. There aren't that many mothers who do this job. And there is something obviously kind of paradoxical about motherhood and war. So I do understand that people genuinely find it kind of interesting. Like, what is that tension like? And how does it manifest? And what does it feel like? So I think that that's part of it. I also think that when you're a public person, you just have to accept that people are going to always have commentary on your life, whether it's your professional or your personal life. They're always going to ask questions. And rather than being sort of defensive about it, I think the best thing is to try to answer it openly and honestly. And then the final thing I would say I realized at a certain point is that I do think it's actually a little different from others. And I think that was hard for me to admit because like we're not trained in this day and age to think like that. But there is like a visceral, physical aching that I have at being separated from my children's like bodily presence, you know? 
And I'm not saying that my male colleagues don't have something similar, but it does seem to be a little different than what I experienced. Like there are definitely like many occasions where, you know, it makes me weepy even to think about it now. We're like, you know, I just have to go and take myself to a room and just have a little cry because I miss them so much or I feel so badly. And I'm not sure <laughs> that my male colleagues who are dads who are doing this work have that. I mean, maybe they do and they don't share it. So I do think it's a little different for mothers. And I do feel like part of what makes it different though, is also what makes it important to do this work in a weird way. Because the fact that I am that like emotionally porous and open, I would like to think makes me a better reporter and makes me more sensitive to the people whose stories I'm telling. And maybe I have more of a focus on civilians or on children because of being a mother. I definitely feel like it's there's been a shift. So, yeah, nothing's ever straightforward. Thank you for sharing so openly. Are you okay to continue? Or would you? Yeah, like to yeah, take yeah, a break? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I cry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I recently found out that according to Inside Radio, only one in five of the top charting podcasts are hosted by women. And that's despite 50% of listeners being female. I had no idea it was such an old boys club. So if you are finding that this podcast benefited you in some way, and if you're passionate about gender equality in all forms, then please take a moment to support a female hosted podcast by sharing this episode with a friend, for example, on Signal or WhatsApp, subscribing and giving it a five star rating. Thank you so much for your support. Back to our conversation. That's so interesting. So do you mind me just asking about that? Because I'm just reading this very interesting book, Hysterical. I'm only a third through. And it basically says that women are always punished for being emotional. I seen as you shouldn't be emotional in the workplace. It makes you weak and so on. I, What's your take on that? Because I think there is something interesting about you being a mother. And I can really, obviously, I don't have your job. I don't know what it's like, but I can resonate to sitting across a mother with a child similar age as you, who's just gone through horrendous things. What's your reflection on that? I think that emotion, being emotional is like being frightened in the sense that, especially doing the work that I do, like there's a place for it, definitely. But you have to be able to control it, you know? So... And the same with fear. There's a place for fear. There's a very important role that fear plays. But you have to be like the the rational mind needs to be in control. And that's why, you know, you take yourself off into the bathroom and have a little bit of a weep and try to sit with it for a while and work out what it is that's upsetting you so much. And, you know, if it's just a thing of you know, being overtired, that's one thing. If it's trying to digest something awful you've seen, that's another thing. But I think that being like <laughs> emotional is basically code for being like a sentient being, right? I mean, if you're seeing people in their lowest moments and naturally then also reflecting on how you would feel if it was your children, for example, then it's a highly natural and even healthy response to feel sadness, to feel overwhelmed, and all the other emotional responses. So 
I don't buy into that whole thing of like women are too emotional, blah, blah, blah. I, I think that men don't know how to deal with emotion often, especially in a workplace setting. And I do think you have to be able to compartmentalize it and you have to be able to know when it's appropriate to share that and when it's not. And you have to understand that not everybody else feels the way you feel. But ultimately, emotion and empathy are really at the core of what inspires my reporting and and hopefully what makes me a good reporter. Thank you for sharing. Coming back to something more practical that I know our listeners will be interested in. Mm. So you did a lot of international travel in really stressful environments. Can I ask you, did you breastfeed at any point? And the reason why I'm asking is just because that is so hard to do that when you're away from your children. No, I mean, I think it's pretty much impossible, to be honest. My first son, I really struggled to breastfeed. So I ended up like pumping like a lunatic basically for whatever it was, four or five months. And then my second son, I breastfed around the clock because he never stopped eating. And then after like four months, I was like, okay, okay, I I can't even leave the sitting room, let alone my house, because this kid is like the Incredible Hulk and just wants more, 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 which is wonderful. And I was happy to give it to him. But the reality is once I knew I was finishing my maternity leave and going back to work, I understood that I had to, uh, my children had to be weaned by them because I don't have the sort of job which would lend itself to what I see so many women doing. And I'm like in awe of it, like pumping at work and, you know, saving the milk and then bringing it home. And I have a huge respect for that because I really think that pumping is right up there with like the most unpleasant things you can possibly do. And it's just amazing to me that women feel so driven to do it for their kids. It's like really beautiful and very humbling. But because my job is so erratic and unpredictable, I couldn't do that because it's like you might pump for three days in the London Bureau and that's fine. And then suddenly you get sent to Ukraine or whatever. And then I can't be in a situation in a conflict zone where I have to pump regularly and there's nowhere to store the milk. And then, of course, as you know, when you like go down a feed, you get like a little bit blue and like emotion, you know. So I just, I made sure that by the time I went back to work, that was over and I was no longer breastfeeding. And what about the practicalities? You said you managed to keep the routine. Do you have another half who is super at doing that routine or have you got really good nanny support? I imagine a lot of parents listening would love to yeah. learn from that. I know not everyone can afford nannies, of course, but still. Yeah. I mean, I am in a uniquely privileged position because I can afford to have people who I adore and who my children adore and who adore my children, who really form like the backbone of the village that it takes to ensure that my children are you know, really happy and and well looked after. I am also very lucky that I have an amazing husband. He travels, but not as much as I do. And we have a rule that we don't travel at the same time. He works long hours, but he's always there in the morning and he's usually there in the evening for bath time. And he's just very present and very loving and incredibly supportive. And then I also have my parents who are you know, they're not necessarily going to be able to like take the kids for a weekend and like, you know, give them baths and change their nappies or whatever. But they, again, they're just like a loving presence that regularly spends time with them. 
And then we have two nannies because of the way the travel is. You kind of have to have that because, you know, my eldest son's nanny just went on vacation for a month, which was great. And I'm so happy that she had that month off. But, you know, it's like obviously completely impossible for me without having someone else who is also there to be supportive and to love and look after your kids. So I feel really lucky. And I see how our society has done things in a little bit of a strange way because we've sort of peeled away from more traditional family setups that I still see a lot in like the Middle East and, uh, you know, South Asia and stuff where you have big families. And so, I mean, yes, that can be stressful for women because they're having a lot of kids and whatever, but there's also an element of like the kids look after the kids, your cousin, your sister looks after the kids, people, you just, you can kind of park your kid in any number of places, which doesn't mean that it's not hard work. It's incredibly hard work. But I think that sometimes in our society, I see that motherhood can be so solitary and really lonely often, which is not something we talk about a lot, but which is a natural byproduct of the fact that like we we tend to live these really disparate lives with families split up all over the place. And a lot of people are only children and they don't necessarily have that kind of network built in. So you kind of build your own network. But I think we can learn from other societies on that front. I'm not at all a mental health expert, but I always think that the fact that we have so much postnatal depression in Europe, I'm sure that would be different if we didn't have these expectations of mothers to suddenly be gone maternity leave, be isolated from everything that they knew before, and to do parenting often single-handedly during that maternity leave. I think so. And I also think, particularly on social media, I just think we're really dishonest about what motherhood is like, especially the first time you have a kid. Like, I never had even thought about breastfeeding one way or the other because I didn't know that it was hard or, you know, I just was like, I don't know, I guess I'll do it. Yeah, probably, whatever. And then I had my first son and it was a real struggle and it was so devastating. I mean, I was, my husband was like, what is your problem? This is not a big deal. Like you're a rational, sane human being. But, you know, you've got so much hormones and that that drive. I felt this like fundamental desperation to be able to do it. And, you know, and then I reached out to my friends and they're like, oh, yeah, this is the deal with breastfeeding. It's a nightmare for many people. It's complicated. La, 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 la. And I just thought to myself, all I've seen for the last five years is like supermodels on Instagram breastfeeding while they're, you know, like traveling around Venice with friends and having a fabulous life on every level. You know, no one was doing posts about how hard it is and how hormonal you are and how weepy you are and how painful it is. Like, so I think that we're part of the problem too. And then someone else was joking with me. If women knew how hard it was, not just breastfeeding, but the whole thing, like there's a reason we don't tell first time mothers, oh boy, here's what you're getting in for, (laughs) because it would put people off having children. And because once you do it and you get through it, it's like the greatest love you've ever known. You don't regret it for a second. It's wonderful. It's life affirming. It's everything. But man, it's so hard. Even if you're in your best case possible scenario where you have support and you have money and you don't have postnatal depression, even then, it's so hard. It's a dramatic shift. Your entire life changes. And I just don't think 
you know, now I see more and more books about it and more women talking about it openly on social media, which makes me really happy because I just think there needs to be a much more honest conversation around the whole thing. And that extends as well to the career part of it. No one ever told me you're now going to have two full-time jobs and you're going to feel sick with exhaustion the vast majority of your time and you're going to be struggling every day just to keep your head above water just so no one at your workplace is going to be like, well, you know, since she had a kid, she's a little checked out. No one tells you that. They're like, yeah, you can have it all. It's great. Enjoy it. So I hope that we can continue to be more honest in a way that doesn't frighten working women off having children, but in a way that like better prepares them for the challenges that come with it and hopefully build up better networks to support each other when you're in the thick of it. Now, when I find out one of my colleagues is pregnant, I'm like, I'm not going to say anything to you right now, but I'm here for you. Because there will come a point where you're going to feel overwhelmed and you might want to go to your best friend or your mom or your sister, but I'm here. And I think that's a really important signal to to send out to each other. Definitely. And I think if every listener of this podcast does that to one of their friends, and I'm sure most of them do that already, it makes such a difference to know that there are people like that out there. I guess my question is, and I mean this in a nice way, not in a judgmental way, why are you doing it? What do you get from doing this really intense role whilst at the same time, it, you know, it's, it comes at a price. It sounds like you, like all of us, are exhausted a lot of the time. What do you get from it? Why do you keep going? Because I get to have an extraordinary life and I am constantly surrounded by people who have a completely different existence to me and a completely different reality. And I'm constantly learning from them. I'm humbled by them. I'm inspired by them. I'm forced to reassess assumptions that I've made about the world or about people or places. And that helps me like fill my tank, so to speak, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, which then when I get home, yes, I'm exhausted, but I'm also like full of spirit and life. And, and I feel like it makes me a more generous mother. When I have extended periods of time at home, maybe where I start to feel a little bit like uninspired, I think that I am, of course, still like a super loving and very nurturing mother. But I do think that like I'm the better mother who will come in for shorter bursts and give everything than the mother who will be that kind of like constant balanced presence. So yeah, that's just who I am. I love that confidence that shines through. It doesn't, it might not always feel that confidence, but yeah, it's really nice. And actually, hopefully, I'm always hoping that my children will look back in 20 years time, assuming, like you said, they still talk to me and that yeah. they will see that what I do has meaning and that actually it made me a whole person rather than just a service provider, which is what you do end up being sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes. We're coming to the close of this conversation and I'm really interested if you see a younger colleague who wants to have the same amazing career like you, who's about to start a family, 
What are three things that you've learned yourself that you would like to pass on? Number one thing would be just be in the moment. So especially when you're about to have your first kid, turn your phone off. Are you going to miss a great story while you're either pregnant, giving birth, or just have, maybe, probably, doesn't matter. You'll have a great career. You had one before. You'll still have one. Let it go. Fully embrace being in a different space. Like allow yourself to just be opened up, which is such a huge part, I think, at least in my experience of what becoming a mother was all about. This just sort of opening up of the heart. And it's like, it's intense, right? Because you're just feeling all the feels, but it's so beautiful. It's so profound. And it is also incredible. This thread you feel that you share with all these other mothers around the world, no matter how wildly different your lives are. As mothers, there's a lot we understand about each other. There's a lot we get with each other. There's a lot that's written on the body. And so I understand as a young, ambitious woman, how hard it can be to let go. But like, even if it's going to be for three months, just do it. Let go you'll come back online again at some point and everything will be just as it's meant to be. But you will never get to have that time again with your child. You know, on the one hand, it's the most ordinary thing in the world you can do, like have a baby along with pretty much half the planet. But on the other hand, it is so profound and so deeply spiritual that to not allow yourself to fully immerse yourself in that is a huge loss. And ultimately, I think will bring kind of grief and stress and all sorts of things that you really don't need to be dealing with when you've just had your first baby. Very well said. Thank you so much, Clarissa. Thank you. I've really enjoyed our chat. Me too. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you might also like episode 36, where I talk to a group of fellows about expectations of mothers and how to deal with those. You might also enjoy our free event in January about returning to work if you are on maternity leave or have returned a very short time ago. If this podcast has been helpful to you and you'd like a practical community to support you, then consider joining the fellowship program. You can find details about this and access any of our free events on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. On the fellowship, you get access to amazing role models who have experience of bringing up kids whilst progressing their careers, mentors, support with practical challenges, for example, workload management or saying no. You'll get support to develop your vision and make a plan for career and family life in small group sessions. And you will access research on what causes career progression and how to implement this practically in the context of looking after young children. In our last cohort, more than half have got promoted or got additional senior responsibility by the end of the program. And they're all involved in some shape or form in driving wider change for working par parents, which really excites me. Oh, and as I mentioned in the middle, if you think the world of podcasting should be a bit more gender equal and less of an old boys club, and you want to support me and this podcast, then I would be super appreciative of you taking a moment to share it, let's say, for example, via WhatsApp or Signal. And also it really helps if you write a five-star review. It just, the algorithm makes it more popular and it gets seen more and so on. So yeah, it would be super helpful. Thank you so much and see you next week.